to the body of Christ and this morning to Panorama Christian Center. Let's receive, if you will, Apostle Dr. Bishop Bill Hammond. Thank you. God bless you. you. May be seated. All right. Amen. Well, uh, part of that resume is a little older. Um, my wife and I just celebrated our 57th wedding anniversary, <clears throat> and um, and our granddaughter gave us a great granddaughter on our 75th wedding anniversary. And so now we got another one on the way, so we got eleven grandchildren and eleven great grandchildren. Amen. <clears throat> the prophetic is very productive. <laughs> Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but sitting there, those two lights reflect back in your eyes. I don't know what those two. I guess have to have them for television, but you probably need. I know you don't want to cover up your name, but <laughs> but we turn it down. Okay, all right. As long as you can. As long as you can take it. Now, uh, no, I just want you to know that uh, I brought some books. I didn't bring a whole lot. Um, a few of the prophetic, apostolic. <clears throat> I've written now 12 books also. that's, um, And um, this reason, and tonight I'll be ministering on, um, you know, my main anointing ministry is the restorational moves of God. Every prophet or apostle usually has a specialty that anointing that God gives and mine has been since 1959. I've been teaching on the restoration of the church. I started prophesying in 1952. How many were not on planet Earth in 1952? <laughs> several, <clears throat> several of you. <clears throat> and um, we have uh, now, you know, I was just uh, telling Apostle McKenzie here that on the way over that when I was in the 1970s, um, uh, that in the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, was 30 years a process. The making of a prophet is a long process, if especially if you're going to be a major prophet and do major things for God. And I went through, my wife and I zeroed out three times in our life, no hope, no future, you know, just turned the gas on, shut the gas doors and, you know, and windows and said, goodbye, old world, goodbye. You know, you, you go through those processes. Nobody reaches maturity without going through God's processes. Whether it's David or Joseph or Jesus, you know, they all went through many years of process before they came forth through their destiny. And um, so um, I remember I'd get prophecies, uh, those I'd prophesy to them and prophesy back to me. And uh, they'd say, God says he's going to exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. And I think to myself, yeah. I don't think you outdo what I'm thinking, what I'm believing for, what I'm seeing. But I want to give you testimony. After 58 years of ministry, 60 years as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, he has done exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I thought he could. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, we have now trainings, uh, ministers, CI ministers, training and equipping people on every continent of the world. We even have some Eskimos way up north, apostles. And I was just down in Borneo. That's the end of the world. That's a two-hour flight beyond Australia. And uh, we were down there, and we have an apostle down there. He's got over 10,000 members and hundreds of churches. And we were down there preaching. 
I was down there last year for my 77th birthday. <clears throat> and uh, it was amazing. Uh, they wanted to take a, uh, they got a kingdom message. I tell you, they are going to be a kingdom nation, I believe. And um, uh, they kept um, uh, just going and flowing. And they, they wanted to take up a, my, my birthday happened July the 29th when I was there. So they wanted to take up a birthday gift for me. And so they took up a birthday offering. Now think about it. These people were flesh eaters, human flesh eaters a generation ago. In fact, when Jim Stevens went down, who is ahead of my CI Global Network, we have a CI Global Network which covers all the churches throughout uh, the world. Then we have an apostolic network, CI, that covers the churches and, and ministers here in the United States. We have 800 here in the United States, 3,000 around the world and the nations. But anyhow, they, they wanted to take up an offer, and I thought, well, that'd be good. They'll get a couple thousand dollars, maybe $3,000, because there's about 1,500 people there. And, um, but they gave me the offering. It was $85,000. Biggest offer never got in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'd had to been really given a lot of money in the CI to keep it going, and you know, with things the way they were. And, and I think, thank God, who would have thought he'd have replenished way down here on the other side of the world, people that were flesh eaters. And when Jim was down there, one of the couples said, we want you over for dinner. He didn't know how to take that. <laughs> and these people pride themselves on being the blackest people on planet Earth. I mean, and they think if you're not black, you're not true black. <laughs> they tease each other. If you're brownish, you're, you're a red man. If you're black, jet black, you're a black man. <laughs> they have a lot of fun down there. But they are powerful, on fire for God. I tell you, I was excited about it and uh, what God's doing. How many glad God's moving all over the face of the earth? Now, uh, we're having, when I get back home tomorrow, we get ready for our big October conference, our 26th International Gathering of Apostles and Prophets Conference. We're having Pat Francis in, a mighty prophetess of the Lord from Canada. Uh, she has got a vision. She is um, from Jamaica, and her, she has a church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and she's teaching and training all of her young people to have their own home while they're in their 20s. And she, she, she's an entrepreneur. She belongs to a million, million-dollar club of women. And um, she's just to go get her. She's got vision, revelation of the kingdom. She's going to be there. And then we have uh, Mahesh Shabda, who is a real strong prophet of God. A different. Uh, one day he preached the whole message on the three three little pigs, you know, <laughs> and the big bad wolf. Uh, he, he's a real character. But he has a real direct word of the Lord and wisdom of God in that area. And um, so then we... Uh, then we get to go to Puerto Rico, come back and go to South Africa uh, seven days and come back, and then go to Korea and back, and then um, a couple more meetings we finish out the year. And um, my wife about five years ago said, you know, you can just keep on running if you want to. I think I'm going to kind of semi-retire. So I said, well, I'm going to keep running until I run right into heaven. Because I'm planning on preaching until I'm 95 or die trying. <laughs> Amen. So... But all of a sudden, her body started falling apart, and things started happening. And the last five years, she just went through some near-death experiences. And finally, I told her, I said, well, you told your body, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to need you much longer. And so it just started falling apart. You better say, I'm going to be here a while. I've got work to do and get it back. <laughs> I don't know how much truth was in that, but I was trying to shake her up a little bit. 
But thank God a lot of people have been praying for her. She's completely restored. She's driving on her own. We had to have 24-hour care for a while. She's completely restored. And she looks 10 years younger. Thank God I got my wife back. Amen. You know, you you got to keep going until Jesus comes. I can't find retirement in the Bible. You just have to refire, redirect, re-anoint, reappoint, and keep on going. Amen. Now, about uh, 30 years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, When you go to a church on Sunday morning, don't preach your favorite message or teach on your favorite subject, but ask the Lord what He would say if He was here this morning. Amen. By the way, I brought him with me to let him tell you what he wants to say. <laughs> and so, um, so I've been doing that. I've done that in Japan, Korea, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Africa, Australia, New Zealand, you know, around the world, Canada, all over the world. I do it faithfully. And I asked the Lord last night, as I was seeking the Lord this morning, what do you want to say to your people here? So I find everybody is... Somewhere, every individual in every church is somewhere between redeemed in Egypt to one of the journeys along the Canaan uh, wilderness into Canaan land. And for your journey, the Lord says that you're entering your Canaan to possess your inheritance and have your permanent headquarters. Amen. Now, sometimes he uses some of the seven... Uh, letter to the seven churches, and um, I asked him, well, if, if, if you're going to give him one of the letters, which would it be? And he said, the Philadelphia church letter, uh, Revelation 3, 7. It's the only church that doesn't have a rebuke. It doesn't have a correction. But the only, every one of them has, I have, every, every other letter has, you're great here, you're great there, you're great there, but I have this against you. You need to adjust here. And the only challenge there is, is, the main point is, behold, I set before you an open door. And the challenge is, the challenge is, you've got to go through the open door. When the door of opportunity opens, and I want to share with you this morning what God is really challenging and charging and timing me. Also, he said that you're like David, you're moving him Hebron to Jerusalem. And when he moved from Hebron to Jerusalem, from partial fulfillment to ultimate fulfillment, as I feel that your apostle pastors are moving into the third phase of their ministry, like David had wandered in the wilderness, run from Saul, but then he was king over Hebron for seven and a half years, and then he went from Hebron to Jerusalem and became what the prophet Samuel had said, king over all Israel. Amen. But you had to take out the Jebusites. Come on. That's in Second Samuel chapter 5. You have to take out the Jebusites, and you're going you're gonna to rise up in war, and you're going to take out the Jebusites, because you have to take out the Jebusites, then make that the city of David, which is Jerusalem today, and there he made his headquarters. And God says, you're going to take out the Jebusites, you're going to tear down the strongholds, and you're going to take your property and land and set up your headquarters. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you're called to a big challenge, but I want you to know you can fulfill your calling. You have what it takes. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the Lord's main challenge to us this morning is, the least is called to do the greatest. 
Now, as Apostle said, I was with my spiritual son, Guillermo Maldonado. I'm his bishop also. And um, was with him there this week. And they had about 14,000 people there. You know, but it doesn't make better whether you're 14,000 or whether you're 40 or 400 or 4 million. It's still the same challenge. Come on. And um, God wants you to know that you're capable. And if what I want to do, what the Lord wants you to do, know, He wants to knock out every excuse the devil in the flesh harasses you with to keep you from rising up and possessing your promised possession. Amen? Amen. Now, how many know you're called? I mean, at least Thessalonians says called to be saints. And every saint has a ministry. In my book, Day of the Saints, I challenge and explain that this is the day when God is raising up every saint to be a ministry. Uh, we call them saints in the workplace, ministers in the marketplace. But now in the Third Reformation, we're calling you more kingdom influencers and kingdom demonstrators. Amen. But the main thing is, you're a member of the body of Christ. How many know you're a member of the body of Christ? Did you know we're members of the same ones around the world? There's only one church, one body of Christ. And when I, and they speak many different languages, but everywhere I go, they all have the same national language of the church. They speak in their spirit language called unknown tongues. Amen. We have a common language of the body of Christ around the world because on the day of Pentecost, when God sent the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit language, that became the national language of the new nation of the church. And God has one nation, one church, one body of Christ. And wherever I go, we have a common language. And we have a common blood, the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so that is terrific. I love the unity and the oneness of the body of Christ. But I, I've discovered in my 58 years of ministry that one of the main assignments of the demonic is to accuse you, uh, to confuse you, and to talk you out of your authority and your calling. And to convince you that you are not capable or you got something wrong with you. Now let me explain. The supernatural and the miraculous, the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural manifestations is not dependent upon your perfect doctrine, marriage, knowledge, or capability. It's dependent upon hearing the verse of God, obeying the Lord, and acting upon it. All you have to do to move in the supernatural is be born again, filled with the Spirit, and a child of God. When people came to Jesus, they said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? But believe on Him. What must I do to the works of work? Do the works of God? The apostles ask him. He says, "Believe on Him whom the Father has sent." And, and no, no, no one coming to Jesus did Jesus give a whole list of things you had to do to be qualified. Just believe, believe, believe. Now, when it comes to leadership, fivefold ministry and leadership, there's a list of seventeen. You know, you have to be blameless, and, and uh, just got all these kind of qualifications. But so, don't get qualifications for leadership. And qualifications for accomplishing great things for God in the Spirit mixed up. And the devil tries to say, well, you're, you're not, you've you got this problem, and you don't know enough about this, you don't have this background, and your family, ta ta ta. He comes up with, he's an accuser of the brethren and of the sisters too. Amen. He accuses you. So I want you to really get the message of this here, and Paul said in Corinthians. Now, Paul was, you know, he, he was seemingly theologically and religiously qualified. He was a doctor of, the, of theology. He was a doctor of the law. But he said when he came to Christ in Philippians, he threw that all away. 
I don't put my confidence in being a Hebrew of the Hebrews or having a doctor degree or all that not knowledge of the law or keeping the law. He said, I count it nothing that I might gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And then the, the prophet said in Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. How many have the Holy Spirit? So what excuse we have? Not by might, not by power, not by, by the Holy Spirit. Then you say, well, you know, I don't know whether I'm really qualified for the calling. Let's see. I think you'll meet your qualifications here. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, according to man's ideas, not many mighty in man's eyes, not many noble or called. You say, well, I don't know what I'm called. Well, see if you're chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the things that are wise. How many feel more qualified all the time? Huh? Chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You ever, ever feel weak, foolish? Boy, you're qualified. You're the material God's looking for. Have no confidence in the flesh, but you put all your confidence in God. And the base things, things that are very low in man's eyes, of the world, and the things which are despised. You ever felt despised? Oh, you're getting more qualified all the time. God has chosen. And the things which are not, which are nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. You ever feel like a nothing? Then you're more than qualified. Amen? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, God takes delight and pleasure in using the nobodies to do great things. God calls the least to do the greatest. And the smallest to do the most. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're qualified. No excuses remain. Amen? All right? Now, um, also Isaiah... Uh, 55, 8 and 9 says, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are as high above man's thoughts as earth, heaven is above earth. How many know that God thinks different than we do? See, he says, the world would choose, they would go after these mighty, the noble. I look for the weak, the despised, and the misused, and the nobodies, so that I can get all the glory when I use them. Amen. Hallelujah. How many want God to get all the glory? Then you're the ideal person he's been looking for. Come on. Just say, there is no reason for me not to be used of God. Say it. Say, I'm qualified. According to this, you definitely are. Okay, I am too. Amen. Now, Second Chronicles 16.9, God speaks... Uh, to the king because he had done some things. And it says, I want you to know the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, don't visualize eyeballs running around. God's TV scanner, however you want to say it, runs throughout the whole earth seeking for those whose heart is perfect, faithful, who is 100% out for God, that he might show himself strong in their behalf. Did you hear that? 
So if God is looking for people that He can show Himself strong in their behalf, what's lacking? The heart. The heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. So God's looking for hearts that are willing to die to self to practice what we sung this morning. Come on, I said, to practice what we sung this morning. My whole life is to live for you. You're my glory. You're my joy. You're my life. You're my everything. I'm dead to self, alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here am I, Lord, a living sacrifice on the altar to rise up from the altar and be a mighty man and woman of God. Amen? Now, so he's looking for those. How many want God to find you and say, you, you, you? (laughs) Amen? I want him to find a heart. Because if if he... Now, this is hard for me to grasp, and I know it's hard for you, because how many really want to be used of God and magnify His power and glory? It's hard for me to realize when God spoke to me and says, You know, I want to use you more than you want to be used. I said, No way, God. I want to be used mightily. But He says, I have to get the heart right. i got to prepare you. See, Jesus, though He was the sinless Son of God, went through... Thirty years of preparation for three and a half years of ministry. How many think we might need a little preparation? If the Son of God took thirty years for three and a half, you know, it's ten to one in preparation. See, it's not how long your ministry is, it's how strong it is. Jesus only had three and a half years of ministry. I've been in ministry 58 years. I've been in ministry almost twice as long as he lived. But it's what you, if you accomplish your purpose. And see, that's what God says. When I go to a church, I say, God, what's their purpose? You know, God didn't raise His church up just to have another church. Just so the pastor would have somebody to preach to. You'd have some place to go where you like to worship and praise. God raised up a church to fulfill His purpose. Amen? And now there's churches like Assembly of God or Baptist or Methodist. Say, we need to plant a church here, plant a church there. And they do. And then God blesses according to their level of truth. If they preach a born-again experience, people get born again. If the Baptists preach born-again, baptized in water, they get both. If the Pentecostals preach born-again, baptized in water, and fill the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, they get that too. In other words, God will bless whatever truth they preach, because God honors His Word, not you and me. You see, God honors His Word. I'm writing a book right now on how can these things be. How can preachers have major sins in their life and still do great works for God and still demonstrate great things for God? It's a real mystery to a lot of people, and it shouldn't be. And how can these things be? And I'm dealing with a lot of things, and I've seen every sin in the book in preachers' lives in my time. Come on. And some of them pastor churches 10,000, 15,000. Some of them have a worldwide ministry. And, but God's going to start purging His church. Judgment begins at the house of God before the world. Now, <clears throat> so, but you don't, but see, that's what you've got to realize. God would, they would, apostles were everywhere preaching the word, and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. He confirms his word. You know, I could, go, I could go out here on the street and get a bomb off the street or a street person, dress them up, bring them in here, and let them quote John 3.16, and some young man here that grandma's been praying for and mother's been praying for for years would hear that word, Holy Spirit would convict them, they'd come and get saved. Come on. Not because of the person behind the pulpit, but because of God's Word and the prayers of God's saints. I know I was in um, uh, Utah years ago, back in the 70s, 
and I prophesied over this couple uh, that they were going to have a child. They tried for seven years to have a child. And this grandmother came to me and said, I've been praying for 15 years for this child to get married. Now they got married, can't have children. And, I, and they were converted, um, um, what you told, Mormon. <laughs> Church, they'd come out in the spirit field and all of that. And I prophesied over them. Well, I came back a year later and they had this beautiful baby. I said, here's the word made flesh. <laughs> and, uh, but see, it, see, I was just the instrument to answer mom and grandma's prayers. See, we've got to realize God is working. That's the reason nobody can take all the credit for anything. Because we all had a little part. Somebody prayed, somebody preached, somebody planted, somebody watered, and somebody reaped the increase. And so we all get the equal reward for being used of God to accomplish His purpose. Amen? So I want you to just realize to do the work of God is not based upon your perfection. See, if I went down and started doing deliverance, I'd probably cast a few demons out of a few people. You say, can Christians have demons? I discovered Christians can have anything they want. <laughs> but some of you need to get rid of your pets. You know, <laughs> you know I'm sure if I did inner healing counseling, uh, some of you would have to dig up some hurts and disappointments, some anger, uh, some unforgiveness. You know, there's probably a lot of little problems in mind. And the devil knows your problem, and he's going to toot that horn. He's going to blast you with it. He's going to discourage you because your marriage is not perfect, because you don't talk perfect, you don't act perfect, you don't pray ten hours a day. Ta-ta-ta-ta. He's got a whole list to tell you, you're not worthy, you're not fit, you can't be used of God because you've got all these imperfections and problems. And then we that are so holy that God can't use us because we've got our confidence in our perfection. Come on. But remember, the beginning of sin was not murder and adultery and lying. It was pride. And I've seen some preachers so full of pride, they stink. I mean, they're the man of God. And they're king preacher. Everybody waits on them hand and foot, and they treat everybody like slaves. No, no, we're just God's instruments, amen? Pride. You know, some of us are like uh, the Pharisees. Thank you, Father God, that I'm not like this publican. I keep the faith ties. I go to church. I, 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 I. And the sinner said, God, be merciful to me. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Help me. And the God says the publican went away justified, and the self-righteous Pharisee went away still out of God's favor. Amen? So that's the reason I go everywhere. Uh, I love to minister to people. They seem to relate because I have. I look at. I'm, I'm not superior to anyone nor inferior to anyone. I just am what I am by the grace of God. Amen. Hallelujah. When I go to foreign nations, I don't look down on the preachers or they're over here. We Americans are great and smart, and spiritual and wise, and all that. No, no. They have a revelation. They have anointing. We're all co-equal in God. Amen. And we need to realize that. I don't, I, don't, I don't look down on whether because they're Asian or African or, or Canadian or, or American. You know, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And, you know, and I take the attitude, I'm as good as the best, bad as the worst. <laughs> Amen. I'm superior to no one, inferior to no one. Come on. About six of you need to get that. And we, you're always comparing yourself to one another. 
They have to compare themselves with one another. Paul says it's not wise. You put yourself in all kind of bondages. It's like when I first got started preaching in 1954 at the mature age of 19. I'd have preachers in to preach for me, and and that one would use great big words. And I think that's it. That's what I got to do. So I'd study out all week and give me some big words, work it into my message. And when I get up to preach to those people, I'd use those big words, and they'd look at me like. What's he talking about? And I I found big words are good for impression, not very good for expression. Then I had a preacher come through, and man, he dramatized. He ran the aisles. He threw water on people. He kicked chairs, throw books at people. He got them excited, running the aisles. That's what I got to do. So I got me some exciting message. I ran the aisles. I kicked the chairs. I did all that, you know. (laughs) I tried to be like everybody, and... And I'd compare myself to the TV preachers. My wife says, honey, you're not very smart. You know, she's got her wisdom. She says, you're comparing yourself to the 10% of the ministers at the top. What about the 90% of ministers that pastor 30, 40, 100, 200, 500 people? What if they all tried to compare themselves with Oral Roberts and Billy Graham? You know? And finally, I, I, finally God spoke to me and says, Bill Hammond, Find out what I called you to be, what I called you to do, and be faithful to fulfill that. And you won't have time to worry about comparing yourself to others. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find satisfaction. Amen. And that's what I finally did. And thank God. Now I'm up there with that 10%. Hallelujah. But the process of getting there was the most important. Because God makes the man before he makes the prophet or the apostle or the great ministry. Come on. How many know God's been working on you? See, I, I tell people, those are God's getting ready to use as reformers in this third reformation. He's been taken through testing and trying and checking, shaking and making. He, he's been checking you out head to toe, inside out, financially, socially, mentally, emotionally, family, spiritually. I mean, he's been checking you out every way. How many think you might be a candidate? You might, <laughs> you might be a candidate. Amen. All right. So it's all working together for your good because God's going to use you. And, and tonight I'll share with you about the Third Reformation. But God said, and when he gets through checking us out, those that he chooses and anoints to be his Third Reformation reformers, he's going to give unlimited power, unlimited wisdom, unlimited resources, unlimited grace that demonstrate his kingdom like it's never been demonstrated before in this world. Amen? So you'll be able to say, like Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18, the sufferings of this present life is not not worthy to be compared with the glory of His presence that shall be manifest in us and through us. How many feel His presence worth it all? Then why do you keep complaining? Come on. You got to start believing what you're seeing. Oh, I want Him. Oh, I'm yours. Oh, me. We got to be all of Him. But for every new of him, more of him, he has to kill more of us. He has to empty out more of us to pour more of him in. So, well, that's enough of that. That's all you can take of that. Let's go back to the positive now. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't allowed the Lord to take me through what he took me through. And I, I can tell you some of the 
horrific experiences. My wife and I was going through being pioneers over all these years. And if we had an opportunity to throw in the towel and give up and say it's hopeless, helpless, we'll never mount to a hill of beans, we'll never make it anywhere, we'll never do anything, but we'll just persist, hang in there, and God is faithful. Because we reap in due season, we faint not. Reap in due season, we faint not. Reap in due season, we faint not. Amen? Hallelujah. And let me tell you, I can tell you by experience, I've had prophecies that were come in the 60s and 70s that sounded so radical, so impossible, so unimaginable that I would, would happen that they have come to pass. Amen? Let me give you just one example. I need, a, they need some help over here. Y'all, y'all wait for me to help them over here. Okay. <laughs> in 1981, I was up in Danville, Illinois. I was prophesying to this church. I had about 1,200 people. And I prophesied over about 250 of the leaders in two days. And then they took me in the office, and then the pastor and his wife and a couple of elders prophesied to me. And this pastor's wife prophesied and said, God says, I'm going to give you people to support you. Uh, they're going to help you, and you're going to, you're going to travel the nations. And, and there will actually be money coming from the nations and from other places. And, and I'm going to give you people to stand by you. Now, let me just show you where I was at at that time. That's 1981. All we had was a correspondence Bible college, undergraduate and graduate Bible college. And the only income we had was from tuition from these students. And we didn't have $50 a month coming in for support outside of tuition. And at that time, I was just president of CI and traveling as a prophet. At that time, I felt nobody would know the difference except my immediate family if we disappeared off the earth. Come on. We were nobody going nowhere doing nothing, seemingly, compared to some of us, you know. And, and, and I thought, people, you know, uh, I was the first in my family to get saved. I was the first to move out in many things. And I was only my only one in my family to graduate from high school, only one to go to college, only one in the ministry. And I was the first to get saved out of a family of five and my mom and dad, you know. And, and so I've always never felt like anybody was interested in helping me or anything. But when God, I said, God, how come Hagen uh, did this? How come Or Roberts and Billy Graham? And God said, it wasn't because of them. There was a lot of preachers could preach as good as Billy Graham. A lot of preachers could preach as good as T.D. Jakes or somebody else. God said, I have a cause and I have a purpose that I want to accomplish. And I search for a heart that will be willing to stand there and see it all the way through. And he says, I chose Hagen, I chose Oral Roberts, I chose Billy Graham, I chose these different ones because I wanted to accomplish a purpose. And he says, I have a purpose, and I'll let you know when it's ready, but I'm going to call you to a purpose. And then in 82, 83, God gave me the revelation of the company of prophets and said, I've called you to pioneer this. I didn't let you become successful in the Pentecostals or with the Charismatics or with the faith because I kept you under my own purpose to pioneer and raise up prophets and the prophetic. And I kept you for this purpose, and I prepared you all this time for this purpose. That's the reason you see me unsuccessful, seemingly going nowhere, because I was not trying to use you. I was trying to infuse you with dedication and with revelation and with anointing. And then when I came to find God's purpose, and I dedicated myself to that purpose, quit trying to be like Orwell, Billy Graham, Tegan, and be Bill Hammond, and fulfill what God called Bill Hammond. Then God began to do wonders, and God began to fulfill a great mighty thing. Amen? And at that time, I said no one was working with it. But now, 
I have, they said they'd give me people from around the world. I have 50 border governors uh, in the, from, some, from Europe and from Asia and from Canada and throughout the United States, and they support me monthly, you know, in that area. We have all these ministers around the world. I mean, I, no way I could see that. How many has got things you felt like God's spoken to you or told you that you'll be or do, and in your natural mind, you can see no way that could ever be? See, one way you can tell a prophecy is really from God because it'd be impossible for you to ever do it. <laughs> Amen. Come on. When God told Moses, go back and take a stick and deliver three million people out of the biggest army in the world and take them to Canaan, how many know that was impossible in the natural? <laughs> but if God fights for you in God's timing, it's God's timing, it's everything. And I'm telling you, it's God's time for you to take your Jerusalem where the Jebusites are. I'm not going to preach on it. I've got some other things I want to cover. But your pastor can teach on it later. But Second Samuel chapter 5, it says that the elders came and, and said, David, come on. All the prophecies have said that you were to be the one that was to be the king over us. Saul's dead. They put his son in for seven years, but he wasn't supposed to have any of his descendants because he failed to obey his prophecies on the throne. Now you come and rule over us. So they anointed David to be king over all Israel. He came, and it wasn't just handed to him. There were Jebusites there. You might want to turn around. Let me just mention a few points. Because you're going to take the Jebusites out. Amen? And God's called you to do it, and you're qualified. Are you qualified? All right. Let's look at Second Samuel, or First Samuel. Well, I, I, let's go to David first to go to um, I want to go to second Samuel first, chapter five. Okay, now notice here. You got your Bibles? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> All right, now let's just read this right quick. I want you to get this. Uh, uh, chapter five, second Samuel. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in times past when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you through Samuel the prophet, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king of, at Hebron. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, at Hebron, and um, made and anointed him. Everybody say anointed. This morning I'm going to anoint your pastors and anoint them to go to take you up to Jerusalem to get your headquarters. And you're going to find land and buildings and do for God's will. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, at this time, the Jebusites had been there for over probably a thousand years. Nobody had taken them out. Joshua hadn't taken them out. Nobody had been able to take the Jebusites out. They're one of the seven tribes that God told Moses that they had to drive out of the land of Canaan. And Jebusites were the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, Ha! Huh, you will not come in here, but that our blind and our lame could repel you, thinking that David 
couldn't come in because nobody had ever been able to. I want you to know the devil's telling you, you've never been able to do this before. Nobody else has taken this property in this building, but you're going to take it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then it says, verse 7, Nevertheless, <laughs> I love it, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David, which is now called after he took it. Now, David said on that day, Whoever climbs up the way of the water shaft and, and, and defeats the Jebusites, gets down and gets us all in, he says, they, they say that we can't come in. He said, then, he says verse, then David dwelt in the, verse 9, David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David, amen, built all around from the Milo and inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Say, we're going to become great, for the Lord of hosts is with us. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, now get this, this worldly king, not an Israelite, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew. You're going to come to this place in a few months. You'll say, so David knew. So Mackenzie's knew. So the church knew that the Lord had established king over Israel, and he, and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. Amen? Can you take out the Jebusites? Hallelujah. Now, I want you to turn to 1 Kings. 1 Samuel, I mean, 1 Samuel. Both same Samuel, he just wrote two books. Now, here's the story. Look at this setting. Now, you think you've got a situation. You want to have theirs. <laughs> Samuel, uh, David, I mean, Saul, look at chapter 13. And, and Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years, amen, over Israel, then um, things began to happen. And he blew the trumpet, and people came out. Together, and he had about 3,000. I'm just giving you the highlights. He had about 3,000 soldiers gather with him. And, um, but uh, uh, then the, later on, it has, he blew the trumpet again, and um, people came out. But then the Philistines heard that they had gathered, and hundreds of thousands of Philistines began to come into the land. And then three or four companies came in from different directions. And um, so it says that. Um, the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Now, there were, there were companies of them about a thousand this way, a thousand went that way, a thousand, thousands went all the directions. Now, here they are. Saul and his 600 are under the pomegranate trees, under the palm trees, having a conference trying to decide what to do. While they're debating what to do, somebody takes action. Come on. I said, while everybody else is thinking about it, somebody's got to take action. Somebody has to go out beyond the crowd, beyond the status quo. Now, this is a little 18-year-old son of Saul. And it says that in all among them, there wasn't but two swords. Saul had a sword. Jonathan had a sword. And they had to take all their instruments, their holes, and, and all the things that they did harvesting with down to the Philistines to get them sharpened. And they didn't allow them to have swords. But here, Jonathan had a sword, and Saul had a sword. And Saul was with the 600, and they're there, and Jonathan's with them. Now, chapter 14, right quickly. 
Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, amen, said to his young man, his armor bearer, who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. There was on one side of the mountain, there was on the other. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Abijah, the son of Hazab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, was in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. So he went between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison. There was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. This all has meaning, but I don't have time to go into that. And the name of the one was Bozaz, and the name of the other, Sina. Now, the, the front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man, I want you to mark this in your Bible. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, mark this. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Do you have enough? Yes. By many or by few. It makes no difference whether it's two million or two. Because God says, if I get somebody to be obedient, that person and me make a majority. I mean, one man and God make a majority. One woman and God make a majority when you're moving on in faith. Now, notice, there's no indication here that God spoke to Jonathan to do this. He just takes a bold, daring act of faith. Moses was obedient, and God told him everything to do, and he did most of it. But here, Jonathan just says, it may be that the Lord will work for us. You think some of you, God just might show you a building, show you the land. God might make a miracle, release some funds. I mean, God's going to use somebody as an instrument. God's going to use somebody as an instrument. Amen. And it says, the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many of you. Let's read that together. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Pastor, whatever you feel led to do, I'm with you, man. <laughs> we, need some, we need some armor bearers with this spirit and grace. All the elders and all the deacons. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, for here I am with you according to your heart. Wow. How many know if two come together? One can put a thousand of light. Two can put ten thousand. Amen. Uh, now, then, then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to this, these men, these soldiers. We'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. No, we're going to stand here and fight. But if they say, come, come up to us, then we'll go up there. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. Now, there's a thousand big seasoned warrior Philistines. They're cousins of the giants. Come on. And these big seasoned warriors, here's David, a little strapping of a lad, you know. He's probably got a sheepskin on <laughs> and, a, and a sword. And his, 
and his, his armor bearer's got a great big club. And he says, let's go up. And here it says, look at what it says. Maybe God, God is delivered. Now, this is ridiculous. There's a thousand soldiers up there, and because they said, come up here, that was confirmation, let's go. How many had enough faith to do that? <laughs> my, 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 my. All right, look at verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hid themselves. Other, other scripture says that the Israelites had made caves and holes in the mountain to hide from the Philistines. So he said, here's some of them coming out. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. And we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them in the hand of Israel. Wow. Two young guys, teenagers, marching up there. In fact, they didn't march up because Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him because the hill was so steep. And they, and, and, and they fell before Jonathan, and as he came after, his owner bearer killed them. And that first slaughter with Jonathan, his owner bearer, made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Oh. Now, you've got to have a good imagination. Now, I'm a warrior. When Cindy Jacobs... About eight years ago, prophesied that God had made me a five-star general in the Army of the Lord. Then somebody gave me paperwork showing that in the United States, five-star generals were only made during a time of war. I said, that fits. We're in war, and I'm out to kill ites. Amen. All those ites that bites. Amen. All that's in my possession. Now, visualize this. These two young men are climbing up on their hands and knees, and they step over this little wall there's there. And this big plateau up our flat area, and there's a thousand Philistines, armored, two young men. One's got a sword, the other's got a big club. And they're facing a thousand soldiers. Is that a little bit impossible? Is that a little bit ridiculous? You see, every miracle is based on a life and death situation. When Jehoshaphat and his army went out and started singing praises, next 24 hours, either Jehoshaphat and his army is all going to be dead or all the three great armies are going to be dead. Come on. Every time a miracle took place, you know, when they started across the Red Sea, unless God preserved them, it was going to come in on them. You know, I mean, everything is based on life and death. You say, oh, I want to see a miracle. Are you willing to go a life and death situation? Are you willing to allow God to put you in that predicament? Come on. God's, we've come to the third level of overcomers. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives under the death. How, how much passion do you have to be used of God to give the breakthrough for God's people? See? So they step over. And this great big old Goliath, I mean, time it was, Goliath was part of that tribe. But he came over and he said, big, big warrior, big warrior. I mean, great big helmet, great big. These big guys, they weigh public. 250. Wait, more than I do. Amen. But they have big guys. You know, I can see him says, Come on, boys. It's been dull up here all day. He's half drunk, you know, because all the Israelites are hidden in the caves and running. No competition, no challenge. And he says, Come on, boy. We've been dull up here. And, and I kind of visualize Achilles, I mean, uh, Jonathan like Achilles. How I many saw the movie Troy? 
Remember? My Achilles, I mean, he could jump in there and boy, he could get you. And that's where Jonathan was. He was that agile, fast, moving, you know, and here's this great old guy. Come on, boys. Give me a little interest. Step back, boys. I'll take care of these whippersnappers. I'm Oklahoma. That's our person. You know, I don't care. Amen. And, and, and so he comes up, our boomer. Jonathan comes up and comes Come on, boy, come on. He goes, come on, boy. Boom, he hits him in the leg, jumper, cuts his leg, hits him in the side, falls down. He's all over Come on. Blows eyeballs, brains. Another old big soldier comes up and says, hey, he was half drunk. He didn't let me get it. I'll show you boys how to do it. He comes over there, gets out his big sword, got his big shield, and, and Jonathan comes over, boom, slips around, shoop, jumps right over top of him, stabs him in the neck, and he falls down dead, and all over, boom, brashes binds. I'd love to see the movie of this, wouldn't you? And this goes on for about an hour, two, a couple hours, and it, it gets 20 of them. Can you imagine? 20. One's challenge enough. 20. Look, but God's okay. He's proved to me. He's put his life on the line. He's done everything he can. Now war angels go down our street, put fear among those, start shaking the earth, and start shaking things up. Because now he stepped out for as he can go. Now I take over. I'll fight for him. And God came down. Look what happened. Look what happened. Amen. Look at verse 15. After he had killed about 20 men within about a half an acre over a couple hours, there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders and trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. They got scared. They began to run, and Jonathan uh, kept following them, and they finally saw his army, woke up and realized God had moved, and they chased him and got a victory. Somebody has to step out put their life on the line to get a breakthrough. We can sit here and sing about it, talk about it, stay home, watch TV about it. But until somebody says, I believe God will just show me the the plan. I believe God will show me the property. I believe God will show me that. I believe I can go out. I believe I can talk to the people. I believe, I believe, I believe. And just might God might confirm it, and God might work a miracle. God's looking for somebody to be a Jonathan. Amen? Because it makes no difference to the Lord to say, but many are but few. You could be used of God. I said you could be used of God. The most insignificant. Now, let's look at another impossible situation. In in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David, another young man, about 17 years old, and um, he goes out to bring food for his older brothers. Three of them are in the army. Amen? And he comes out, and Dad says, take this cheese and raisins and, and, and all this food out to yours. They've been out there 40 days and 40 nights. I'm sure they're hungry. And um, let's notice no, the setting. I know you heard it, but let's, I want you to see it again with you there. See, as long as you don't think you're David, you're not very worried about what you're reading. But if you're David, how would you feel? All right? Verse 21, for Israel and the, uh, chapter 17, 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, the giant, by name, 
coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the words, same words. Go for 40 days and 40 nights, he'd come out, challenge the Israelites, and they'd all back, run backwards. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and drew, were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And if he, it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from, from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he will defy the armies of the living God? You see, they saw him coming against the army. David saw him coming against God, God's army. See, you've you got to get out of it personally. Realize you're fighting God's battle, not your own. Amen? And so, so Eliab, his, oh, oh, verse 28. Uh, now, let me first, let's, let's just talk about this event. Now, David received a prophecy that he was going to be king of Israel, right? He was 13 years old when he received this prophecy. It's four years later, he's 17 now. And he's going out here, and all of a sudden he said, What'd you, Did I hear right? The man who kills this giant will get riches and taxes, but he gets to marry the king's daughter? I imagine, I, I imagine David's a lot like you and me. And he said, Hmm, I'm prophesied to be king. If I marry the king's daughter, whew, I'm right next in line. Maybe that's the way God's going to fulfill my prophecy. You can figure it out all you want to, but it'll never work out the way you figured it. It'll never work out the way you anticipated it. I've had several prophecies all figured out. It all comes to pass, but never where I thought it would, with who I thought it would, the way I thought it would. Amen. And so he said, wow, man. And besides, he's defying the armies of the living God. Now look, now Eliab, his older brother, heard when David spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against his younger brother. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left the first few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. All you got is curiosity. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? He said, Don't you see a cause here? He's coming against the armies of the living God. And you know what? It was reported and reported, and finally they brought him to David. I mean, to Saul. And he said, "Saul," he said, "I'll go against him." And um, then and Saul. Uh, well, let's talk about what he said. Uh, he, David said to Saul, verse thirty-four. But David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from the mouth. And when it arose." Against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. And all has killed both, your servant has killed both bear and lion, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, look at this. Some of you have got some bear and lion experience. Come on. But you're going to face a giant. And you've got to, let your, you've got to build them. Now, look what David says. He said, Look, Saul.
saw. I was out keeping my father's sheep, and this great big old bear came up. And he said, I'm going to eat your little sheepies. He said, oh, no, you not see. <laughs> he took out his, he took out his slingshot, out of the old bear, grabbed him by the beard, slit his throat, and made a bear rug for his tent. Amen? Now, then this lion came out. Now, I've got a full-grown, half of a full-grown mounted in my office on a mirror. He weighed 700 pounds wrong. We've got one in my uh, foyer of the church, full-grown on all fours, weighed about 700 pounds. And I bought them in Africa and shipped them over. And uh, I know their paws are eight inches thick and four inches, four inches thick, eight inches wide. I mean, I mean, if you ever go against a lion, <laughs> and he said, here's come this lion. I said, roar, I'm going to eat your sheep. He said, no, you're not. Bear came out. Wolves came out. They all got the same medicine you're going to get. Now he's in his office on the mountain. Amen. Now he said, King, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. Impossible for a teenager like me to do. But I did it. Not by trusting my own strength. I practiced my slingshot. I knew I could hit, you know, I could knock a fly off a limb. You know, but he said, I trusted God, and I believe God will help me kill this giant. Do you have faith? Do you have some experiences that God's given you? How many had some victories? Had some victories? When you let that catapult you into God delivering God's people. So David said, I'll go. Of course, Saul tried to put his armor on. The old order, wineskin didn't work. He had to take what God had given him with the revelation he had. And he goes out. Now, here he goes. He comes out in his little... They're on that mountain. They're on this mountain. And it's about a mile across here. And uh, he goes down this little creek flowing down there. And he picks out five smooth stones. Now, why did he get five smooth stones? Because he didn't know whether he was going to have to use the anointing of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. So he got all five. And he used it in the prophet. Amen. But also, he knew Goliath had four brothers as ugly and mean and big as he was. So he figured if he, they came out to heaven, one, two, three, four, five. Amen? I mean, that's faith. I mean, come on. So, now this giant is about 11 foot tall. How tall is this ceiling? Nine, ten? Probably ten, eleven, ten. Yeah. Might be twelve. Might be twelve foot. His head would hit the roof. His... Shoulders were broader than this pulpit. And he had a spear 25 foot long. And his coat of armor was over 200 pounds. And here's little David. He's coming out. Here's this great big giant. Got a good imagination? And he says, What do you do? Sending me a kid, a dog out against me? You insult me. And this giant said, It's in the book. I don't have time to read. Giant said, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And David said, That's strange. That's just what I was thinking about you. He said, I'll tell you what, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to I'm going to knock you down, cut your head off, and feed you to the birds and all the Philistines. I mean, man, he got bold. So the giant come boom, boom, boom. David says, Come on, man, make my day. Come on, come on. You, you didn't go back to movies in those days. <laughs> <But> anyhow, <laughs> so here comes a giant. Boom, boom, boom. 
And David goes, hallelujah, I'm walking with him. He just got this sheepskin on and his little pouch. He takes out a rock and he takes out a stone. He says, come on, boy, kosher. And the Bible says David ran toward him. Boom! Hit him right in the forehead. Knocked him out. And the big giant, bigger they are, the harder they fall. Boom! No, he fell backwards. Boom! David stepped up on his big chest, pulls out his great big sword. See, David didn't have a sword, but he said, I'm going to cut your head off. Come on. <laughs> he took that sword, cut off the head of that big giant, took to him, picked it up, blood running out, eyeballs staring. Say, hey, Saul, army, here's what you was afraid of. Come on, let's get the victory. And the army came, the Philistines ran, and they got a breakthrough. Somebody has to give a breakthrough. Somebody's got to be a David. Somebody's got to be a Jonathan. Amen. Is there a cause? Do you need headquarters building? Do you need tired of wandering in the wilderness? Tired of flying, following a cloud and a fire? Should we set up, take down, set up, take down? We did that for years. I know what if we had conferences and hotels, have to set up or set up down, you know, and finally God help us build our own building. Praise God. What a victory. Amen. And, and God says, God says it's time. Now, here's what's, what's going to happen today. Because you believe. Zechariah 12.8 is going to happen today to every one of you. That, turn to Matthew and go back two books. Matthew, Malachi, and Zechariah backwards. Too far, too, too lost in the middle. Zechariah 12.8. Now, this is for you. You're in that day. This is your day. You see, what didn't work yesterday will work when it's God's timing. Come on. But when God's timing, you got to move. And this is not a time just to fast and pray and sit at home or in a church praying. It's time somebody step outside the borders, step outside the status quo, and make a move. Somebody's got to be a Jonathan. Somebody's got to be a David. Come on. Somebody said, just might be the Lord will use me. It just might be the Lord will do something. Come on. God's going to prosper some of you financially. Other God's going to give you wisdom and contacts. I mean, we're all in this together. Come on. But we can all sit around praying about what to do and hoping something will be done and somebody's going to step up underneath the pomegranate trees and get out there and expose themselves to the enemy and say, I'm going to get out there where we need to be and get the job done. Amen? Now, many of us have felt weak, weary, and least. And John, and, and, and I could talk to you also about Gideon and his 300. Gideon and three, you know the story. You preached on it several times, I'm sure. But, you know, they got out there and, got, and, and it blew the trumpet. God told him, I've called you to sit down people for you. And he gets out there and blows the trumpet. 32,000 show up. Oh, hallelujah, 32,000. But there's 300,000 Midianites out there and other Eastern nations. And he says, oh, God. Is this enough? 32,000 to go against 300,000? God says, no. Too many. How many know God doesn't think like we think? So he said, get up and preach a message. Tell all the wimps to go home. All mama boys go home. If you're afraid this is not going to work, you think your pastor's had too much pizza over last night and he had a wild vision, you don't think it's going to work? Go on home. I know I don't want you around because in Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, it says, When you go to war, send all the wimps home. Wimps are faint-hearted, spineless, jellyfish, backboneless, no vision, no spirit, no heart Christians. 
He says, send them home because when the battle gets hot, they'll run and affect the others. So send them home. So only take the warriors. Amen. Deuteronomy 28. Now, so Gideon says, God, now there's 10,000. Now there's 10,000, 300,000 out there. Is that enough? No, too many. Wait a minute, God. I mean, 10,000 10, against 300,000 is too many? See, yep, some of them are still selfish. Some of them have their own agenda. Some of them don't have faith. And they're scared. They're wimps. So yet. Some of them are selfish. So take them down to the river, and everybody's only concerned about getting a drink for himself. Ignore those. But those that hold the spear in one hand, get down on one knee and lap like a dog. Set those aside. And I can imagine when you took a thousand down there, it says, come on, boys, lap like a dog, lap like a dog. Thirty. And each thousand, there was a thirty, 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 and he came out with three hundred. And God says, three hundred, and three hundred against three hundred thousand. A thousand to a man. But you know, God said, a thousand, one should put a thousand in flight, and two ten thousand. Are all things are possible with God? Now, in order to do that, we've got to know God's got to fight for us. You've got to learn to hear the voice of God and put, know how to put a fleece out before God, and then God confirms you, keep moving on it. Amen? So, now look, but now we've entered into a new day. Now, I apply this third reformation, but God's applying it to you personally. Look at Zechariah 12.8. In that day, this is today. What's the day? October the 7th, 2012. Hmm. We're here in Miami, America, USA. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants, what we call our church here, Panorama, Panorama Church. In that day, the Lord defend the inhabitants of the Panorama Church and the one in the congregation who is feeble, weak, and nothing seemed like. Feeble among them in that day will be like David. Woo! Hallelujah! You want to be like David the mighty warrior? But now some of us are already operating like David. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen? And the house of David shall be like... Is Jesus God? Did Jesus say the works that He did would do also in greater works? Is it time to do the greater works of Christ? Shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against my church. Amen. And I will come against all the zoning laws and every problem that hinder you getting your property, getting your place, and getting your Jerusalem. Amen. Hallelujah. And it says in Isaiah 60, verse 22, A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. And it's time for Panorama Church to get its headquarters. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory. Are you ready? Are you a David? A John and his armor bearer? And God will use somebody as you least expect it. Everybody stand and let me pray for you. Then I'm going to minister to your pastors. And see me young people back there. 13, 16, 19. I was only 19 when I started pastoring. David was only 17 when he killed Goliath. 
He's probably 13, 14, 15 when he killed the bear and the lion. Jonathan was 18 when he took on all the whole company of Philistine warriors. Killed 20, then God stepped in. How I many know you get out there and do what you can? You do all you can, then God will step in. Come on, God will move. Jonathan is on the bear. God will move. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, if you're willing, if you're willing to be a David, a Jonathan, if you're willing to be the Gideon 300, if you're willing to say, God, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody, but God, you're everything. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for everybody, all you young people. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Father God, right now you see these hands raised. Here's volunteers, like Jonathan said, let's dare. It makes no difference to the Lord say, but many or but few of the great or the small. Lord, cause you call the least to do the greatest. I release right now that anointing of Zechariah 12.8. The least shall become as David, and the David shall become like Jesus, doing the works of Christ. Lord, we release that third reformation anointing, that anointing that's going to cause this church to arise, possess their land, their building, and grow and multiply and become an influence in this city and in the nation and send teams east, west, north, and south to the nations, God, and to other churches. They're going to raise up prophetic teams, apostolic teams, miracle teams. God, they're going to raise up a team. They're going to raise up people for the seven mountains in the business world, in a medical world, in education. God, they're going to raise up kingdom influences and kingdom demonstrations and God, this church is on purpose and it's time to take the kingdom. It's time to take headquarters. It's time to drive the Jebusites out. And I release the faith and the grace and the warrior spirit to be the Jonathans and the armor bearers and the Davids and the Gideon 300. Rise and take the breakthrough. 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 I release the breakthrough anointing. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. What didn't work yesterday will work today. We won't judge tomorrow and today. For it's a new day. It's a new hour. It's the day of the Lord for this nation and for this church to go forward. And we birth it right now. We birth them into their purpose. We birth them into their destiny. And we release the timing and the purpose of God. And everybody say, Hear my Lord. Use me. Use me. 